1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. When I was a young man uh, just getting started and kind of going to school and working, and uh, I could remember there was a few adults in the church where we were there in Illinois, uh, and they, they actually showed uh, special interest in me, would come up and talk to me and ask questions and so forth. And it was a real encouragement to know that somebody cared. Uh, it's amazing what just a simple question, uh, simple interest can do to show somebody that they matter to you. Uh, Jesus was a great example of that. He actually, people say, hey, the children don't, don't uh, he doesn't have time for the children. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Uh, the leper who people would often cross the street to go to the other side to avoid the leper, uh, the leper Jesus healed, but he healed him in a specific way. He reached out and touched him. Uh, he showed him through his actions how much he mattered. And Jesus is still doing that today. He reaches out to people and he touches them and he helps them and heals them and, and uh, answers prayer. I, I'm so grateful for that. And we need to understand what God's heart is for us because sometimes in this life we can feel as outsiders. The Bible says that we're not a part of the citizenship of this world. If you know Christ, you're a part of another kingdom. Uh, you're a, a sojourner. You remember Abraham? He, he went, he left his homeland, he was living in a strange land. Uh, oftentimes, Christians can feel that way, as those who are living in a strange land. But I want you to know something. God loves you. And God will be with you, and he will sustain you uh, in the difficulties and struggles that you face. Uh, Peter, in the scripture we're looking at today, is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted uh, for the fact that they named the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I was reading this week, um, there are many persecuted peoples across the world uh, in Nigeria, uh, Ten people a day who name the name of Jesus Christ are put to death uh, by the people there in Nigeria. Um, it is, they say that uh, 90% of Christians who are killed in the world today are killed in Nigeria. Is that not a, a, just an amazing uh, thought? Uh, Listen, in some cases, the world could be very inhospitable to Christians. These folks were, were being persecuted. And uh, he goes on to tell them that, hey, you may feel rejected by others, but I want you to know that you are precious to God, just as Jesus was rejected, and he is elect and precious. So you are precious to God, and God loves you. You know what I found? I've got a little bit of gray hair on my head. I've found over the years in the different circumstances of my life, in the different seasons of my life, that Jesus Christ has been there for me. Jesus Christ has cared for me. He's provided what I've needed. And sometimes in those different seasons, there were different needs. But Jesus was always sufficient. So he is today. Uh, 
we need to serve him and live for him because he loves us desperately. He truly does. Look with me at this, at this uh, scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this is a greeting, but here in this little greeting are uh, some things that we see about how we matter to God. And that's the title of my message, You Matter to God. Um, How do you know that you matter to God? Well, the Bible says that we are his chosen delight. We are his chosen delight. Now, uh, the word chosen or elect, some of your translations may say, uh, shows up in verse 1, to those chosen, to those elect. Um, There's a lot of controversy about election uh, in Christianity, but there doesn't really need to be uh, because election isn't about God choosing who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, okay? Just in case you wondered. Uh, The Bible already tells us who God sends to heaven and who God sends to hell. God sends to heaven those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. By the way, that's right in the middle of a passage on election. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised raised him from the dead, you will be saved. A few verses later on down, he says, Whoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So who has God chosen to save? Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, whosoever will may come. That also tells me that God's not keeping anybody out. Whosoever will may come. So, but you say, so what does this, this election mean? Well, God has chosen to save those who believe in Jesus Christ. But I believe God uses the concept of election to show us how much we matter to him. Okay? So it's one thing to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a wonderful verse, but it's not personal, okay? I think in election, what you find is that God is not only concerned with saving those generally who believe in Jesus Christ, but he's concerned with individuals. He cares about you. Um, One of our members, he's not here today, but uh, he shared with me, a story about his past, and he said, you know, he said, I was adopted, and he said, when uh, my mom walked, my adoptive mom walked into the room where there were these different babies gathered, she said, I want that one. Uh, Her husband said, well, don't you want to look around a little bit? No, I want that one. And she was adamant, I want that one. You, You know, that meant so much to him. 
And he told me that story several times. He said, Baba, he said, she, she was just, she wanted me. You know, sometimes people think, well, you know, nobody cares about me. Nobody wants me. Uh, I don't matter to anybody. Can I tell you something? You matter to Jesus Christ. He said, I want you. And one of the amazing things about us, he knows everything. He knows everything. He knows the good, bad, and the ugly. Okay? He, he sees what other people don't see. He knows our hearts from the inside out. He knows our attitudes. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. And yet still chooses personally to save us. Is that not amazing? God saw me as I was and chose willingly to send Jesus to save me. That that just kind of blows my mind to think about that fact. Um, So you don't accidentally come into the kingdom of God. God loved you, sent Jesus for you, and specifically said, you know what? Rogers, he's going to trust in me. But I'm choosing to save him personally. I have my eye on him. I know him. I, I love Psalm 139. It talks about how God uh, knits us together in our mother's womb. Has our days written in his book before one of them come to be. Uh, he besets us behind and before uh, as his children. He does all these things. He's intimately concerned with the details of our life. He sees when we sit and when we rise. He knows the words we're going to speak before we speak them. Why? Because he desperately loves us. And it's a personal love. It's a personal love. So we are his chosen delight. The Bible uses a couple of uh, different illustrations to get this across. One thing it does is it calls God Father, and it calls his people children. Okay? Now, some of you would say, well, if he really wanted to show delight, he should have talked about the grandchildren. All right? But uh, that, that aside, God knows how much we delight in our children, doesn't he? And so he says, I want you to understand my heart. I remember this hit me uh, about two days after Megan was born, I, I was sitting in, in my quiet time, and I realized, you know, I've just got this, it, it would surprise me, just this strong love for this little thing. They put her in my arms, and boom, it was there. And two days later, I was in my quiet time, and I realized God loves me the way I love her. And I just began to weep. That's God's delight in you. Or how about this? God uses the illustration of the groom and the bride. Right? The Old Testament, God is the groom, Israel is the bride. In the New Testament, Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. Right? Were you excited the day you married that person you loved? Did you delight in that person? Well, our human relationships are limited, aren't they? None of us are perfect. But I'm going to tell you something. In that delight, you have a little bit of the taste of God's delight in you. 
we have a book in, in the Bible called the Song of Solomon. And it's a book that is describing the love between a husband and wife. Actually, at first, they're, they're engaged but not yet married. And, and it talks about the anticipation of the wedding day. And, it, and then it talks about the physical act of sex between this husband and wife and their delight in each other. And uh, it is actually, you can learn some things about waiting on sex till marriage, right? You can learn about some things like that God's attitude towards sex and marriage, that it's good. But I believe the Song of Solomon is intended to show us God's heart for us. In this delight that this married couple has in one another, there is a picture of God's delight for us. Now, God's a spirit, so those, those physical acts uh, don't really apply to him. But the heart and the delight that God has in us is pictured in these things. So, if you've ever delighted in your spouse, I hope you do. Uh, if you've ever uh, had delight in, on your wedding day, you have just a taste, okay? And, and by the way, your love for your child is just a taste of God's love for you, okay? Because I'm not a perfect father. Uh, none of us are perfect, but God is perfect in his fatherhood, and he is perfect as the spiritual groom. His love for us is so profound that we can't wrap our minds around it. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. So you matter to him. How, how do we know that? Because you're his chosen delight. Um, so you matter to God. How do you know this? The Bible says if you know Christ, you are his chosen delight. Secondly, you are his appointed influencer. Now my translation includes the word chosen again to kind of help you understand uh, how things are put together. Uh, it uses the word chosen again at the end of verse 1, but the, it actually only occurs once in the Greek. Um, the, uh, the idea here is that uh, he says you are, according, you're in eight, you're Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, I believe you're also elect according to the foreknowledge of God, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But you are his appointed influencer. The book of Acts tells us that when the church in Jerusalem was persecuted, they were scattered to different places, and wherever they went, they told people about Jesus Christ. Did you know God has appointed you to make a difference in this world, to be an influencer for him? You can do that by telling people about Jesus, sharing the gospel. You can also do that by ministering to Christians that are, are in your spheres of influence, in your family, at your workplace, in this local body of believers, you can have an influence and an impact in the lives of these people. And God has put you where you are to make a difference as a part of his plan. Now think about this. God has let you be a part of his work. Is that not a significant thing? Does that not show how much God values us? 
And by the way, if God created us and fashioned us for his purpose, he gives us, he puts us in the place we are, in the relationships that we're in, to influence others for him. We are his appointed influencers. Now, usually when you are the leader of a nation, you don't appoint somebody who's an idiot to be your ambassador, do you? Right? Uh, I, I remember, you remember the show Gomer Pyle, okay? You wouldn't appoint Gomer Pyle to be your ambassador, right? Uh, now, uh, listen, God has appointed you to be his ambassador. Is that not an amazing thought? You are his appointed influencer. Your life has incredible significance if you know Christ because you have been put here to make a difference for Jesus Christ. And it shows how much you matter to God. You are significant to God. So you matter to God. How do you know this? The Bible says you are his chosen delight. Secondly, you are his appointed influencer. Thirdly, you are his known priority. You are his known priority. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God. God chose you not in ignorance, right? You ever choose something uh, and, you know, maybe you didn't get to see it before you ordered it online or something, and maybe there wasn't a picture on Amazon. You get it and you think, well, this wasn't what I bargained for, you know, I, uh, and you send it back. No, uh, God, God knew us perfectly beforehand. When? Well, we know Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So you know what that tells me? If God had a plan for Jesus to come and be the lamb, that he knew all about us before the world began. He knew us beforehand. So before God ever said, let there be light, God knew your name. He knew all about you. He knew your personality. He knew your shortcomings and your failures. He knew your strengths. He knew how well you do. He knew when you were going to blow it. He, he knew all about you. And he chose you anyway. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You are his known priority. You say, well, how do you say priority? How, how do you know that I'm God's priority? Well, first of all, this idea of foreknowing someone, I think, uh, is, is not just an intellectual thing. I think it is a relational thing. I think it means that God has set his love upon us. He, he knew us before we were even born. Um, when God created the world, after each day of creation, he said, it is good. It is good. It is good until he gets to the sixth day where he makes the man and the woman. And he says, it is very good. Shows the priority of man in creation. Who did Jesus come to die for? He came to die for human beings. Right? We're his priority. God saw us in eternity past and he made all of 
history, all of religious and theological history, to point towards the coming of Jesus Christ. And as we are past that time where Jesus came to die on the cross, to look back to what he's done and forward in anticipation to the results of what he's done that we're going to get to experience when he comes again. All of the priority of history is found in human beings. But again, remember, this is personal. He says, I choose that one. So, he sets up history for you. He sent Christ for you. He made the promises for you. You are his known priority. Who's going to experience the blessings of heaven and the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth? Who does God tell us is going to experience? It's human beings. Okay? The specific plan that God had for you, he foreknew before the earth was ever created. And he said, I love Roger. And I've got a plan for him. I love, put put your name in there, okay? I've got a plan. And I'm going to bring that plan to pass. And it's my priority. Above the galaxies of the universe that in all their splendor. Above the oceans and the the mountains and and, and the amazing creatures that God has made. God says, I see you. His known priority. So, you matter to God. How do you know this? Well, the Bible says you are His chosen delight. You are His appointed influencer. You are His known priority. You are His set-apart tabernacle. What is a tabernacle? A tabernacle is a tent. Okay? So, if you've ever gone camping and you set up a tent, you've got the idea. Okay? That's what a tabernacle is. But uh, more than that, the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt in the Old Testament. Uh, it was truly remarkable because no, at no time in history had God ever come and lived among a people. But God did so. He told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to make this tabernacle. And he gave him all the directions and the specifics of it. And uh, they, they were used precious metals and all these fine fabrics and all these things. There were pictures of Jesus and um, and uh, they put this tabernacle together, and then the presence, the Shekinah glory of God, the presence of God came down upon this tabernacle and filled it, and nobody could enter it. And I mean, it was just, it was the glory of God veiled in this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that stayed above the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was where God would meet with the people. Um, and, and so the tabernacle was a, space, a place that was especially holy. It was a place where people found forgiveness. They would bring a sacrifice and so forth. Uh, it was a place where God would give instruction. And so it was the center of religious life, but it was also the center of national life uh, in the time of the wilderness wanderings. Uh, everything took place there and so it was incredibly important to the the uh, israelite people 
this tabernacle that God had set apart. But you see, the tabernacle was a picture first of Christ, which we don't have time to get into that, but it was also a picture of what God had in mind. You remember we talked about the plan God has for us? This is part of it. God knew that later on, his people would be his tabernacle. You see, first came the tabernacle, then came the temple, and then came Jesus. And Jesus set up God's tabernacle within human hearts. How did he do that? Well, he died on the cross. You see, the problem with human beings' hearts was because we're sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. We have sinned against God. There are things we have done that were wrong. There are things we should have done that we haven't done. There are things that, that we've, we've said that haven't, haven't pleased God. There are things that uh, we have thought that have displeased God. Uh, all of these things, God sees these things, and it, it contaminates us. Somebody described it like uh, if you mix a bunch of eggs together to prepare for company and you have just one rotten egg. Do you want to eat those eggs when you come to visit? No. <laughs> okay. That's kind of the idea. Uh, our sin contaminates us and makes us an unworthy vessel for God to live in. So God gave the tabernacle in the meantime to be a picture of what he intended to do. And Jesus brought it about. How? Well, Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I haven't lived. He never sinned one time in his words or in his actions. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin, the Bible says. Never once. He was the pure, spotless Lamb of God. And then he went to a cross on the one hand, because his enemies were trying to take him there, right? But on the other hand, it was because God's, God had planned it. Jesus at the cross took the justice of God for all the sins of all humanity for all time upon himself in a moment of time. Now, only somebody who was God could do that. He satisfied it at the cross. And he rose again. Uh, in mighty power on the third day. You see, Jesus did that. When he said on the cross, he said, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. The Bible says the temple veil was ripped in two. Why? Well, it was to show that we have access to God, but it was also to show there's a different situation now. Now, for the first time in human history, God, through the work of Christ, could live in human hearts when people choose to repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus and receive eternal life. God himself comes to live within us. The Shekinah glory of God is no longer on a tent in a wilderness somewhere. The Shekinah glory of God is in you if you know Christ. You are his temple. You are the one fashioned to declare his glory. Solomon's temple gives the, the, the picture uh, pretty vividly. I mean, he had gold. I mean, gold was so common in Solomon's day, it was almost like having a quarter in your pocket. It was, it was incredible, the wealth that was in Israel at that time. And he made this temple of gold. And as you would ascend the mountain toward Jerusalem, 
and you would see this temple and it would be brilliant in the sunlight. And it was a visual representation of the great glory of the God they served. In New Testament days, Corinthians tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The power is of God and not of us. But he also talks about uh, we have, we reflect the image of Christ in our lives. And people see on our faces. Moses had to cover his face, right? The glory of God was on his face and people were scared. But we as Christians reveal the glory of God through the Spirit filling us and changing our character and People, as we interact with them and we have that character of Christ, they see Jesus in us. So just as the temple and, and the tabernacle before it revealed the glory of God and was the way for people who were sinners to see what God was like and for God to minister to God who is holy to minister to sinners, so you and I fulfill that role in the world today. When Christians are living as they should, and I realize that sometimes they don't, but when Christians are living as they should, filled with the Spirit of God, people should see Jesus in you, the very glory of God. And when Christians are living as they should, God should minister through believers to reach people who don't know Him. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. The tabernacle was holy. Uh, you had the holy place, you had the holy of holies. It was the, the very sacred place. Only the high priest could go in there. And he had all these elaborate rituals he would take to go into that place. Did you know that you and I are called to be holy in this world, to reveal the holiness of God? I can't think of anything more significant. God says, I have set you apart to be my set-apart, that's what holy means, my set-apart tabernacle. The holy people of God to reflect His glory. You matter to God, in case you, you were wondering. How do you know this? The Bible says that you are His chosen delight. You are His appointed influencer. You are His known priority. You are His set-apart tabernacle. He loves you. This is a message primarily to Christians today, right? Because we are the people of God. But if you don't know Christ, it's also a message for you because God wants to show you what he wants to get you in on. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. God loves you. If you don't know Christ, he wants you to become his child. He wants you to repent of your sin and put your trust in him. And when you do, you enter into these blessings we've been talking about. And the love of God. Does God love you now? Yes, he does. God so loved the world, he gave his son. But when you step into that new relationship with Christ, you kick it up a notch. Uh, when you step into that new relationship with Christ, you go from being somebody that God loves to being somebody God desperately loves. Uh, because you are a part of his people. You have been adopted into his family. You have been made a joint heir in Christ. 
and uh, he has set his love upon you. And listen, what, what hinders, what hinders um, God's treatment of us and giving us the best that he can give us? Sin. The bottom line is sin hinders it. Sin hinders all the good things. Uh, listen, God created everything good. A lot of times people get upset at God. Though, Boy, why is there evil in the world? It wasn't God's fault, right? He gave man a choice. And we chose to do wrong. And that's why we have all the evil and all the, the, the heartache that we have in the world today. But that was not God's original plan. God's plan was for us to have the best of everything he could offer. And that's what he does through Christ. You can never merit that. You can never be good enough for that. But you can receive what Jesus has done for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you need to make that decision this morning in a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. You can come to this altar if you want to and, and, and pray and tell God in your own words, Lord, I, I'm ready to follow you. I, I choose to turn from my sin in my own way to follow you, and I receive that gift of eternal life. If you need help with a prayer, I'd be happy to pray with you here at the front. We want you to make that decision and enter into this relationship with God that he has paid so dearly through the, the gift of his son so that you can know him. Uh, if you do know him, how are you living your life? For one who loves you so desperately, are you doing what he's called you to do? Are you serving him willingly? Is he the priority in your life? If not, come to this altar and make things right and serve him with a whole heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we matter to you and that you have set your love upon us and what an amazing thought. Lord, help us to never get over the greatness of the grace that has been shown to us and the mercy that we find in Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to live for you with our whole heart, with a desire to please you in all that we do and all that we say. And for those who are here today that don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they would make the choice to turn from their sin in their own way to follow Christ. And that they would receive that gift of eternal life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.